Well, good morning. It's good to be in God's house this morning. It's good to see you. It's always a privilege for me to have an opportunity to come and to teach God's Word here at our church. I want to welcome you to this service. Uh, this message has been weighing on me for about two months. I did not know today was senior recognition, uh, and yet I can certainly see how God is providentially lining up some of the things that we're going to talk about today as a result of that. What a beautiful picture uh, that we've had in front of us today, and thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, And so I'm very excited about what I get to share. I'm not so excited that you're going to be about what you get to hear. Uh, this has been a weighty thing on me, and I am excited to share with you today. So I've entitled the message, Habitual Repentance, the Pathway to Holiness. You know, Jesus was a master at asking questions, and oftentimes he even answered a question with a question. And I believe if Jesus were here today... And he was to ask this question, what is the one thing that I expect from all my followers? What do you think it is that he would say? I believe he would say the word obedience. If there's one thing that God expects from us is his followers is for us to be obedient. Now, if he were here and he were to ask a follow-up question and say, well, what's the, what's the opposite of obedience? It would be an easier question for us to answer, and that is disobedience. So what is disobedience? It's this three-letter little word that we very seldom want to talk about, and there are pastors literally of mega churches around our country who will not use this three letter word, the word sin. Now, this is one of the things that God has really been weighing in on me. And as I've began to put this message together, I began to think through this. It became so clear to me that there is way too big of a gap between God's view and our view of sin. So let that soak in. Let that rock around for just a moment. The reality is there is way too big of a gap between God's view and our view of sin. Now you'd be saying, well, David, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I've been a believer for 57 years. I've studied the scripture hard for 40 years. In August, I'll have been in full-time ministry for 35 years. And what I'm about to say is because of all those years of experience and what I've seen happen in the church, the way I came to that conclusion is because, quite frankly, we drink as much as our culture. It seems like everywhere I go, I mean, we can't go anywhere without alcohol flowing Statistically, we know that we divorce at the same rate as our culture. We dress inappropriately like our culture. I mean, can the skirts get any shorter or the tops get any lower? I mean, we see that even in the church. And let me say, we watch movies and we read books. 
that absolutely flaunt sin and the things that are against the Lord, and we call it what? Entertainment. We watch what we would never want our daughters and sons to do. That's what the culture looks like. It seems like the longer I live, the more coarse and callous and hateful and even vulgar I hear in our language. We lie. You know, being a pastor for so many years and been in so many counseling situations, it is amazing to me the number of believers who have looked me in the eye and lied to me. We cheat. We steal. You go like, hang on a second. I've never stolen. I've not robbed a bank. You know, one of the things that we're seeing in this new culture and industry today from people who are working from home, you know what they're stealing? They're stealing time from their employers. So you see, stealing is not just taking a gun and sticking someone up. Let me just ask you this question. Where has holiness gone? Where has purity gone? Where has righteousness gone? Why is our culture not drawn to the church today? Why are lost people not drawn to us as believers today? It's because we look too much like the world. We don't look any different. And God's called me today to do the best I can for us to close that gap. I believe today we need to be reminded about how God feels about sin. So I want us to look at three passages today. Three passages of Scripture that will give us a glimpse into the character of God when it comes to disobedience. So if you have your Bibles or your phone and you want to turn, and we're going to be moving around the Scripture a lot today, so you can sort of gird up about that. So I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Now some of you are going like, is that book even in the Bible? I mean, Leviticus? I mean, come on, I know. You guys are reading in Leviticus every day. Come on, you're not fooling anybody. So just let me help you. It is in the Bible. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. That's right, it's the third book, so you can get there. So I want you to turn to, turn to chapter 10, and this is the first glimpse that I want us to look into how seriously God looks at this three-letter word. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, your Bible may say strange fire or unauthorized fire, but here is the key to this passage. It says, which he, being God, had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So let me ask you, does God take sin seriously? Wow. So let me give you some context here. So before chapter 10, obviously we have chapters 1 through 9. God's given instruction to His people. He's given His laws to His people in those chapters. And He talks about burnt offerings. He talks about grain offerings. He talks about peace offerings. He talks about sin offerings. He talks about guilt offerings. He gave them very clear instructions. 
He gave them to Aaron. He gave them to Nab, uh, Nadab. He gave them to Abihu. He gave them to Moses. He gave them to the people. Very clear instructions. He gave them, by the way, just as clear instruction as God has given us today. Wow. And what did they do? They acted, and we're not quite as clear about what unauthorized fire is or what the strange fire was. There's a lot of debate and conversation between theologians about that. But what we do know is that he gave them very clear instructions, and they acted against those instructions. They offered something before the Lord that was outside the will of the Father, and it literally cost them their lives. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever done anything against the teachings and the commands of God? They did, and it cost them their lives. Now, I'm going to say this to you multiple times, so you ought to write this down the first time, and you'll have it because I'm going to say it more than once. And that is God takes a very dim view of sin. God takes a very dim view of sin. Why? Because as the Scripture says, He's a jealous God. The Scripture says He's a holy God. The Scripture says He's a righteous God. The Scripture says He's a perfect God. He is a God that expects obedience from His people. Now, I know what you're saying. You're going to like, come on, Pastor David. That's, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. That's the Old Ways. That's Leviticus, for goodness sake. Surely... The God of the Old Testament doesn't view sin in the same way in the New Testament. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 5, and let's take a look at that. So I know Pastor Kenneth, I think it was several months ago, talked about this story, and yet I think it's worth repeating in the context of this message today. Acts chapter 5, we're not going to read the whole story, but we're going to look at several key passages Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and I know you're spiritually already rolling your eyes. I, I know what that looks like. I have kids and grandkids. You know, just a sidebar, no charge for this. I, I always tell my grandkids, you know, one of these days you're going to roll your eyes and they're going to get stuck. And you're just going to be in a mess. So I know you're rolling your spiritual eyes. You're going, like, oh man, here we go. Ananias and Sapphira, right? So... They sold a piece of property. Now, that piece of property was theirs. They could do with that piece of property what they chose. But reading between the lines, you have to realize that they had committed all of the proceeds of the sale of this piece of property. That's what got them into this mess. And it says, and with his wife's knowledge, what did he do? He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, which oftentimes, almost exclusively, that comes out of the evil of the heart. It says, you have not lied to man, but to God. So I want you to understand, when you lie to someone, you understand you're also lying to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and did what? 
He breathed his last. Wow. Later in this text, Sapphira enters into the story and she commits the same exact sin as her husband did, which was lying to God and the Holy Spirit. Her fate was exactly the same. We see in verse 10, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. I love what John MacArthur says about these two and their actions, and I quote, he says, These are two classic examples of hypocrisy among Christians who faked their spirituality to impress others. Let me ask you, you ever lied to God? Let me ask you, have you ever faked your spirituality to impress someone else? I'm going to restate this. God takes a very dim view of sin. You may go, well, okay, David, that's the Old Testament, that's the New Testament, but surely Jesus, surely Jesus doesn't take that hard of a line of sin. I mean, Jesus is God's son. Jesus loves us. Jesus has made, you know, salvation possible. He loves us. He's interceding on our behalf. Surely he doesn't take that same line of sin. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. And let's look at the red letters. Let's look at verses 8 through 9. Let's look at how Jesus views sin. My Bible has red letters in it because I, I love being sure that I'm sure that I'm sure these are the words of Jesus. And so Jesus says, And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter into eternal life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So first things first here, Jesus is not advocating self-mutilization. So we know this to be a hyperbole. So Jesus is teaching about how seriously God looks on sin. And he's also teaching how drastically we should deal with sin in our lives. He says, cut it off. He says, pluck it out. He says, remove it. And church family, I say to us again, God takes a very dim view of sin. So what is our takeaway David, why in the world have you spent 15 solid minutes, one half of this message, on sin? Why have you done that? What should we learn from that? And if you were writing down this, I would say we need to always, and I have that all uppercase upper in my notes, we should always remember how seriously God views sin and disobedience, and we should live our lives accordingly. Now we come to the pivot moment of the message. What are we going to do with what we've learned? And I want to talk about two ways. There are two ways, according to this truth, that are ways that we should respond. One is for the non-believer and the other is for the believer. So if you're in this room today and you're a non-believer, this is how I believe you should respond. I believe you should repent and believe. Repent and believe. Let me start this section by saying that mankind's condition is sinful. 
We are born into this sinful condition. We live in a fallen world. Paul writes in Romans 3, verses 9 through 12, these words. He says, For we have already charged that, keyword, all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. And here's that word again. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then Paul keeps that going 10 verses later, and we see that word all reappear. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Romans 5, 8, we see an incredibly strong transitional word, and the transitional word is but, but God shows His love for us And that while we were still what church? Sinners. Christ died for us. Paul continues in this letter, and we see it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. What you have earned in your sin of unbelief is death and hell. But there's that beautiful Beautiful transitional word again. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love Mark 1. Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. He proclaimed the gospel of God and saying, and here are the red letters. Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? So God sent His Son Jesus to this planet. He was 100% man, 100% God. He walked on this planet, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. He went to the cross. He died in my place, in your place. He went because He's the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who comes to take away the sins of the world. He was buried in a tomb that could not contain Him. God, on the third day, raised Jesus from the dead. He's not some dead prophet. He is the risen Messiah. He is the risen Son of God. He is alive He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's interceding on our behalf in this moment. And one day, church, He's coming again for His bride. He's coming again. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Paul goes on in Romans in chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God did in fact raise Him from the dead, you will be what, church? Saved. A key component, and we're not sure who the writer of Hebrews, who wrote the book of Hebrews, we're not sure who that is, but in Hebrews 9.22, it says, without the shedding of blood, which Jesus did on the cross, there is no remission of sin. If you're here today and you've not yet given your heart and life to Christ, I have good news. 
The good news is as long as you have air in your lungs, you have an opportunity to repent and believe. You have an opportunity to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You have an opportunity this day. Even the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You have an opportunity this day to secure your eternity with Jesus in heaven. You have that opportunity today. But what about those of us who are believers in the room today? I would say that God is calling us to repent and pursue. Repent and pursue. Once we become a follower of Jesus, our sin of unbelief is resolved. And then the sin conversation changes. It becomes a discussion for believers about this word obedience. It's a, it's a discussion about righteousness. It's a, it's a discussion about holiness. It's a discussion about purity. It's who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow Jesus? Or are we going to follow Satan? Are we going to run after the things of this world? Or are we going to run after the things of God? So I want to dial into Romans 12. It's a, very, it's a very familiar passage, and yet God's taught me some things recently about this passage that I want to share with you. So I want us to look at Romans, and you can turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to just look at two verses, just verses 1 and 2. Because I believe God's calling us to repent. I mean, I believe God's calling us even to this life of habitual repentance. And He's calling us to pursue. And I want to talk about who and what He's calling us to pursue. So Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So, so Paul is writing this to believers. In the first century, that's intended for the church in Rome. In the 21st century, that's intended for the global church, which we are members of. So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, and I'm going to talk about that word, to the world, but be transformed by the renewal. And that was a word that really captured me as I began to look at the depth of that translation of by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, you know, we often sort of interchange the words mercy and grace. We'll sort of pray about God's mercy and about His grace, and we talk about mercy and grace. And there's a very big difference between mercy and grace. So you may want to write this down. You may already know this. But grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what we do deserve. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying here, because you did not get what you deserved, which is death and hell, he said, present everything that is you to the Lord. He's saying, it's all about your life to present that 
to the Lord. It's about your being. It's about your all that you're to bring before the Lord the offering of you that is holy and acceptable. You know, I've lived a long time, been a churchman a long time. I've seen about everything. You know, sometimes we pass the plate. Sometimes we give offering outsides. We do it in all different directions in church world. But I can assure you there was a day when we passed the offering plate, what would go into my mind is, David, you need to take that offering plate, sit it on the floor, and you need to stand in it. Because I think that's a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying here. I believe Paul is saying here, man, you're to be an offering. You're to give every part of who you are to the Lord. That is holy and acceptable. In other words, do not offer to the Lord an unauthorized fire by the way we live. Do not live a life in opposition of the teachings and instructions of the Scripture, which we saw in Leviticus 10. He goes on to say not to be pressed into the world's mold. That word conformed in the Greek means pressed into its mold. Paul says, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Jesus said it like this, be salt and light. We are to be different. We are to look different. We are to act different. We're to dress different. We're to speak different. We are to be different. Holy and acceptable. Not pressed in. Not conformed to. We're to be sanctified. We're to be set apart. And how do we do that? Paul says, by the renewal. By the renewal of your mind. Anak inosis, anak inosis is the Greek word for renewal. I love this. It means a completely, a complete change for the better. That word renew means a complete change for the better. Now, for those of you who are students of the scripture, you've probably studied the Greek word for repent, repent, metano, metano, which means a change of mind. So Paul is saying here, just taking it to another whole level, he's saying the word repent, this word renewal, as it relates to this word repent, is to take it to a whole different level. Not to just change your mind, but to make a complete change for the better. We as believers are to repent and repent. Renew. We're to change our view of sin. We're to change our minds about sin. We're to be in agreement with the Lord that we need to repent and pursue righteousness and holiness. Now, Peter writes in 1 Peter 16, 1 16, he says, You shall be holy for what, church? For I am holy. Wow. Think about that. You shall be holy for I am holy. We are to pursue the things of God. We're to pursue righteousness and holiness. Many of you know that I have a chance to travel the world. I just got back from Sri Lanka um, working on the next trip, which would be to Nairobi, Kenya. Um, I've been out of the country over a hundred times in the last 15 years. I've, I've gotten to see up close and personal the difference in the church in the West and the church in the East. 
I've been to India six or seven times when I was, I was, in, uh, I was in India in 2010. I was getting ready to teach God's Word in a, in a house church. And I asked the pastor this question. I said, so pastor, will there be any lost people that would be in the service today? And he said, oh, pastor, no. And what he said after that rocked me. He said, why would we invite the leaven into the dough? I'm not here to talk about strategies of evangelism, but I am here to say that was a riveting statement. Why would we invite leaven into the dough? So my word for us as the church today, let's don't invite leaven into the dough of our lives. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God has sanctified us. God has set us apart. He has sent us on a mission. Graduates, you're getting ready to face a new chapter. You've grown up in somewhat of a controlled environment and you're getting ready to move into anything but a controlled environment. You're getting ready to walk into a microcosm of the world. There is nothing you will not be able to see on a college campus. You're going to face things that you've never faced on your own before. You're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to follow the things of Satan or am I going to follow the things of God? Am I going to run hard and fast after the world? Am I going to be conformed and pressed into this mold? Because let me tell you, the culture on college campuses are going to do everything they can to press you in to the world's mold. Put on the whole armor of God. Know that your church and your families are interceding on your behalf. We're praying for you that you will be salt and light, just like Pastor Corey said, that you will come onto that campus and you will be the reason that many come to faith in Christ. So I challenge you to this impact point. I challenge us to this impact point. Let's flee from sin and run to holiness. Let's close this gap. And let's start it today.